are really glad you're here today, and we're starting a two-week uh, mini-series called Breathing Room, and uh, this will make sense to you hopefully in just a couple minutes. I was 20 years old <clears throat> when I first started preaching. Can you imagine that? 20 years old, and I was in Crab Orchard, Tennessee. Who in the room even has heard of or knows where Crab Orchard, Tennessee is? All right, we got some Kentuckians and some Tennesseans in the room that, that know where that is. And um, I, I never will forget, I, I was asked to preach on money. I'm 20. <laughs> well, what do I know about money at 20 years of age? And um, the only sermons I'd ever heard on money, I didn't like. And, and it was like, it was always on giving, and it was like you can never give enough, and I always felt badly, and everybody left kind of depressed looking for the Skyway Bridge or something to jump off of, and, and I never, I, and so I, I, I was shocked when I discovered that the Bible says so much about money. I, I was shell-shocked when I learned that the Bible has 2,350 verses on money. I, I was overwhelmed when I realized the Bible talked so much about how to earn money. And the Bible talked so much about how to save money. And the Bible talks so much about how to invest money. I, I, I was overwhelmed when I realized that God talks about how to earn money, how to spend money, how to save money, how to give money, how to invest money. I was shocked when I realized that God talks more about that than anything else in the Bible. I was overwhelmed when I began to realize that Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. That one-third of the parables all deal with our, our stuff. I, I was overwhelmed when I realized that, uh, you know, Jesus talks more about money than he, than he does prayer. And he's all about prayer, right? Everybody knows that. Jesus is all about prayer. But, but the Bible is so... So if you're like, you know, a middle schooler in the room today, or you're like a high schooler, or you're like a young adult, I mean, listen up. Di dial into this. I want, you, I want you to lean forward on this today. Because this is about breathing room. And how can you have breathing room in your life? So let me just give a quick illustration. It was like two or three days before Easter last uh, week, and Danita brings home a new shirt. And it was a shirt that I was supposed to wear on Easter. And um, the shirt was like a size and a half too small, and I'm putting the shirt on, and all, you know, Danita and, and the girls were watching me, and the shirt actually, I mean, the long sleeves comes about right here, and, and I'm sucking it in, you know, trying to button the buttons, and they're going, yeah, that'd be good, Dad. Try to preach in that, you know, three or four times, and, and you can't even breathe. Or like, like, you know, like now it's a new season, it's warming up again, and you're putting on some pants you haven't worn in like six months. How did they shrink? How does that happen? And every time you put on, so, so there, there's, everybody wants room to breathe, right? Well, this is what I didn't get. I didn't understand that before God ever wants something from you, he wants something for you. I didn't get that. Every time you'll notice that before God ever wants something from you, he always wants something for you. 
And God knows that you and I live in a material world. We got to buy, we got to sell, we got to have gas, we got to have insurance, we got to have food, we got to have jobs. God gets all that. He made the, the economic system. And so before he ever wants something from you, does he want us to contribute financially? Of course. Does he want us to contribute with, with serving? Of, of course. But before, before he ever wants something from you, he always has something for you. And I didn't get that. So you can imagine when I'm in Bible college and I'm in seminary and I'm like shell-shocked when I realize that there's, did I mention this before? There's 2,350 verses on money. He talks more about money than any other subject in the entire Bible. That to me is ding, ding, ding. I need to pay attention to that. And then I began to realize that when Paul talks about money and when Timothy talks about money or when Peter talks about money, those guys do it in lecture form. Paul, Peter, Timothy, they're like straight shooters. They're like, they're, they do it in lecture form, but not Jesus. Jesus always talked about money in story. There was always a story. He always told somebody's story. And then I began, I began to realize that Jesus is helping us because we're all writing our story. Money writes your story. You're writing your money with story. Are you generous? Are you greedy? Are you lazy? Are you industrious? Everybody in the room is writing his or her life story through money. And it fits for all of us. How do we earn money? How do we spend money? How do we save money? How do we give money? How do we invest money? We're all writing our life's story, and money is the median through which we're writing our story. And so every time Jesus has one, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of these stories. And, and this is like original. Nobody taught me this. I like figured this out after like 25 years of trying to teach on this. I was blown away with the story. And in each one of these stories, you'll see these individuals, they're writing their life. Now, here's the question for you this morning. How do you want your story to read? Because you're writing your story right now. Are you lazy? Are you generous? Are you, do you work too hard? Do you not work enough? Are you, are you, you just, we just start filling the blanks. Every one of us in this room, we are writing our life's story, and money is a major part of that. And did I mention that there's 2,350 verses on money? Have I said that yet this service? You see, it's overwhelming how much, because he always wants something, what, for you before he ever wants something from you. So I want to share some stories that Jesus told. First one's this. First one's out of Matthew. This guy comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, uh, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Kind of a weird question, isn't it? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied again. He's asking a question. Jesus doesn't answer him yet. Jesus responds with a question. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter, enter in, into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? Well, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, 
Don't give false testimony. Honor your folks. Love your neighbor yourself. Well, all these I've kept, the young man asked, what do I lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had, he had great wealth. Now, I've heard some really bad sermons on this. There's usually one point to one of these stories. And the point is not that it's wrong to be wealthy. There's nothing spiritual about being, being in poverty. And you think about this, of all the wealthy people in the Bible, there was Mary, Martha, uh, Lazarus. There was Joseph of Arimathea. He was wealthy enough to have a tomb that, that Jesus could use. Peter and Paul, these guys were supported by a bunch of really, really wealthy people. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were incredibly wealthy. In today's value, you know how much money David gave, King David gave, to build the temple? In today's value, it's estimated it was $54 billion that King David gave to help build the first temple. So this is not a story about ever. It's the only time ever that Jesus tells somebody to give it all away. Now, why did he do that? So I've heard some awful sermons. You can't be wealthy and be a Christian. That's, that's horse manure. That's, that's not right. That just doesn't fit. The point is, this was his God. The point is, this was who he worshipped. The point is he was an, an idolater, and you can't have idolatry. Idolatry never fits with God. And so he tells a story. This guy's writing his life story. This guy walks away from the Savior of the world over a little bit of money? You think about it. That's his story. Look at the next story. Completely opposite. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. That's kind of weird, isn't it? I don't know what anybody in this church gives. But can you imagine Jesus watching all these people give their money? I heard one guy say, you know, don't do this. But he said, everybody stand up, reach in front of you, grab the wallet of the person in front of you, and give like you've always wanted to give. I thought that would be cool to do sometime at church, but I haven't had the courage to do that yet. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, and calling his disciples, Jesus said, look, come, 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 look, come, look, look, I want you guys to see this. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow, I, I've never seen this before, says Jesus. This is incredible. This poor widow's put in more than the treasure than all the others. They gave all out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, she put in everything. She put in everything she had to live on. Now, we don't know a lot about the story. We don't know why she was so poor. Maybe she didn't have a husband. We, we, we don't know. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is she was all in. The first guy was rich. He had no breathing room. This gal is poor, and she is just calm as a cucumber, whatever that means. Look at the next story. <laughs> then he said to them, watch out. This is story number three. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. See, it's all about I. If you notice how many times he says I, I, I. He never asks God. His money, his crops, his barn, his farm, it's all about him. 
I, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, it was great that he was a good investor. It was great that he had great foresight and thought. But it was horrible that God was nowhere on the radar. Story number four. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. How about that freaked out old Zach, don't you? You imagine that? He's up there hiding in a tree and Jesus stops. Come down, dude. I'm going to your house today. By the way, what are we having for lunch? Uh, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow, what a story. I mean, before Christ, he was writing his story. And after Christ, he was writing his story. Today, you're all writing your story. How will it read? What will your story look like and what will your story be like? You're writing it, good, bad, or you're writing it. And, and so today, people talk about your story. Gosh, she's this way. Oh my goodness, he's this way. Look at how great they are. Everybody is talking about your story. And when you're dead and gone, and you will be dead, and you will be gone someday, and after they have the outside little graveside service, and they're out there, and then they come back to the house, and they're eating their potato salad, and they're eating their fried chicken, you know, for a few minutes, they're going to be talking about you. And part of what they're going to be talking about you was how you lived your life. How did you earn money? How did you spend? How did you save? How did you invest? How did you give? How did, your story's gonna come up. And by the way, your story's gonna last for eternity. Your story's gonna last for eternity. Even the scriptures talk about, we will all as Christians give an account. Look at this, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. Revelation says this too. This is Jesus now. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. So are, are you writing your own story, or is somebody else writing your story for you? Now, some of you were raised in some very unhealthy environments, and you may not even be writing your own story. Somebody else is writing that story. Maybe you're trying to measure up to somebody in the family. Maybe there's some stuff going on inside of your heart. I mean, you think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I don't know why he was so greedy. I don't know why he was all messed up internally. But before Christ, there was a lot of gunk going on inside of his heart. And after Christ, there was breathing room. Maybe you grew up really poor. 
If people who grow up really poor sometimes go to one to two different directions, they either become, you know, very passionate, I'm going to be wealthy, I'm, I'm never going to lack for anything, I'm going to show everybody in the family how great I am, or it's the other, other extreme where it's just pure apathy, and, and, and they don't really ever think about earning money. You're writing your story, make sure that you're the one writing it. Make sure nobody else is trying to write that story with you and through you and for you. And here's the question. How, how do you want your story to read? What, what do you want your story to be like? And so on the one hand, there's the story where like somebody, you know, you know like they're just, they're just tight. They're just greedy. All they ever do is talk about money. Talk about money. They talk about how much everything costs. They talk about how much everything's valued. Maybe, maybe, maybe you grew up like that. Or maybe that's you or maybe that's your home now. You just talk, 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 talk. Maybe you work all the time. Yeah, my family worked all the time. Missed all my ball games. Missed all my ballet. Missed all my recitals. Maybe you work too. Maybe you don't work enough. Maybe if, if we're really honest, you're kind of lazy. You're not out there getting it at all, and, and, and there's nothing spiritual about, about slothfulness. And so you're, you're writing your story. Wouldn't you like your story to read like this? Man, she was wise with resources. Wow, he was like incredibly generous with resources. He worked hard. He took some extra jobs. We, we did some mission things as a family. He worked hard. He didn't work too much. He worked a lot. My, my family was really, really good at finances, and we talked about money, but we didn't worship money. We had money in our head, but not money in our hearts. Big difference. Never will forget the seminary class I had when this guy said, you preacher boys, you need to have money in your head, but not in your heart. That stuck with me. I got that. I was a lady in Memphis, and when she died, the story was told about her. She did sewing. Husband worked. She sewed on the side, raised a bunch of kids. And the story was told that whenever there was a family crisis, this wise, moderately, moderate income, maybe lower income even, she had a cigar box, and she didn't smoke cigars, but she had a cigar box, and she stashed away cash in this cigar box. And every time there was a family crisis, the family starts talking about how mom and grandma would bring out the cigar box. And then, you know, it'd be 20 bucks here, 5 bucks here, 100 bucks here. Mom had this cigar box. Another story, the guy was a brick, brick mason. And it was his funeral as well, um, it wasn't his funeral. It was his, his friend's funeral. So he comes up at the friend's funeral, and he says to the son, the surviving son, he said, your dad and I were both deacons at the church together. And I, I was a brick mason. You probably didn't know that. I was a brick mason. I fell off the scaffold, and I broke my right arm. And your dad, at one of our deacon meetings, after the deacon meetings, he said, he took me aside. He said, and he handed me three $100 bills. And he went, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. He said, your dad literally put food on our table. Well, what, what story are you going to write? 
And I, I don't know why, but, you know, you'd think that parents would do a really good job with this. Parents would just do a great job of teaching money and value in the home. And I'm discovering that that's an anomaly. I was raised in a home where we talked about money and value and resources, and we talked about this. It was just, I was raised in a home. My parents weren't perfect. But I got a, a graduate degree in economics since I was a little boy. I got that. And I'm realizing now that that is not the norm in most people's lives, most people's homes. And so how do we, do, how do we position ourselves to write the kind of story that we really want to have written. Now, what makes a great story? A great story is a connection. A great story is you can relate to it. A great story has value, and that's to be the course of your life. Now, as your pastor, I love you. And I always love the Sunday after Easter. This is going to sound really weird. and Maybe nobody in the room will get this except me. But I almost like the Sunday after Easter better than I do Easter. I'm all for the resurrection. Don't misunderstand that. I'm all about the, that's an event. I'm all about that. But you know what I like about the Sunday after Easter? These are the people who are core, diehard, dialed in, committed. These are the folks that want to do life right. And so for my heart today, I am thrilled that you are here And I want you to have breathing room so that you can write the best story when it comes to money and resources that you possibly can. See, this is not a sermon about giving. This is a sermon about living. And every one of us in this room, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not. (laughs) Maybe I have. There's 2,350 verses on how to earn it, spend it, save it, Give it and invest it. And he's all about the balance of all of those components. So the question would be is how do we get in a position then to have breathing room? I want to give you eight quick things. Look look on the screen if you would. These are fill-ins if you want to fill these in your bulletin. You can take these home. But these are some things that I hope will be able to help all of us. First of all, how do we get in a position to look back? Look back and say, okay, I was raised in a home where we understood the value of money. I was raised in a home where we didn't understand the value of money. It's kind of like a Clint Eastwood movie. It's either good, it was bad, or it was ugly. Okay? And so just think about that. It was either good, it was bad. Number two, assess now your money skills. How good are you at understanding how to earn money? How wise are you at understanding how to save, how to give, how to invest, how to, you just fill in the blank, assess your skills. How skilled are you? And you can't ignore this. I mean, this is foolish to ignore. It, it, you can't live without money. You, you got to have it. You, and the better you understand it, the smarter and wiser you're going to be. Number three, pick one area to work on. Where is it that you need to work on? If you're honest with yourself, you know, I'm a hoarder. I hoard stuff. Or if I'm really honest, I don't save anything. Or if I'm really honest, I am like the most envious, jealous person. You know, somebody gets a new car or somebody gets a new boat. Let's leave that second one out of there. Somebody gets a new car, you know. Can, Can you rejoice with somebody who gets a new car? I mean, what's going on in here? Money in your head but not money in your 
in your heart. So you, so you pick an area. And today you've got Dave Ramsey, you've got Howard Dayton, you've got, you've got all these great godly theologians and Christians and writers who from, they can pick one area. Just pick one and spend six months. And you know what? Like, like let's, say, let's say you're not very generous. So you say, okay, you know what? I'm not very generous. When I'm out, you know, I don't tip very well. Or, or when I'm, you know, some, some kid does something for me, you know, does whatever, cleans up my yard. I don't, I don't pay very well. Pick one area of your life and work on it the next six months. Pick one area. See, I, see sometimes you leave church and you say, you know what? I don't think there's right. I, I didn't get a thing out of it. It wasn't very, very practical. You can't say that today. It doesn't get any more practical than this. And I think it's very biblical and very scriptural that we apply these things. We put these things into practice. Number four, use technology. We got something today that, you know, our grandparents didn't have. You decide what percentage of your income you're going to live on. And you can set up your own QuickBooks. You can set up your own programs at home. Then when it comes to, so I'm going to live on, let's say, 80%. You live on 80% of your income. You, get it, you know from technology how much you can spend. Then you got 10%. Let's say that you want to save 10%. And your companies do this. Your companies do 401ks or whatever or IRAs. You can use technology to see how much you're going to save. You can use technology to see how much you're going to give. I now give online. Every month on a certain day, our tithe, our 10% comes right out. It is so easy today to, to use money with technology today. Use it. It's, it's available for us today. Number five, I would always keep truth in front of you. It never helps you when you deceive yourself about money. Scriptures, again, I think I've mentioned this once today, but there's 2,350 verses. Number six, figure out who has breathing room. Who, who has it? Look around you. Who spends less than what they make? Who, who's content with what they have? Look around you. Figure out who has breathing room and why. It's really not a matter of income. Some of it's income. You've got to have some income. But it's really a matter of how you choose to live your life. Number seven. Write the last chapter. How, how do you want your last chapter to be, to be written? Man, I want people to, I, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to, I, want to, I want to take care of the kids. I want to set the wife up for success. I want to set the husband. I want to, I want to my grandkids, my, my, my church, my, my community, my whatever. What's the last chapter? How, how do you want it to read? You're writing your story today. Every one of us today. We're going to leave here and go out of here, and we're writing our story. Everybody's writing their money story on how they earn it, give it, save it, spend it, invest it. Everybody does this. And as your pastor, I want you to write the greatest story you possibly can write. I want you to have this freedom and this breathing room in your life to where you can just be the kind of person that you just know that's what God wants you to do. God wants me to do this, and God wants me to, to be this.
Then number eight is we surround ourselves in with people. We surround ourselves with people who are writing the same story. I've surrounded myself with a group of men and these men are in my life and we're writing the same stories. It's, it's we know God wants something from us. We get that. But we also get the fact that he wants something for us. We, 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 so you surround yourself. And that's why we always talk about community. You see, if you do this without community, you will only do it so far. But you do this in community and it will just ratchet you up this, this much further and this, this much greater. And that's why we're sold on community groups. This is why as a church we do large group. This is cool. This is good. This is why we do small group. Because in smaller groups, in community groups, in connect groups, you're able then to connect with other people and you surround yourselves with that. And so I've asked Tom to come out and Tom's going to come out goodlet and share with us a little bit about how we do community groups. I want you to take these eight I'm asking you to take these eight and apply them and put them to practice in your life, okay? So we do community groups. I think the why is pretty simple, isn't it? Maybe it's the how. We want you to join, jump in, get plugged in. I'm really glad you came back after Easter. Thanks for being here.